Hey, y'all. How's it going? It's uh, Corey and Judith, as usual, yes. on uh, the Tinseltown of the T. We have That's a right. very exciting episode for you guys. We have our interview, which we um, don't really interview people because um, we look crazy, but we have an interview today. So very exciting. We'll be interviewing Darnell Brown, who Judith will introduce, and That's it's right. going to be a great show. So yeah. hang on, guys, and get excited. That's right. So we'll still go through our main segments, but we'll have Darnell to uh, join us. We're excited. Chill, so chill. Darnell Brown, you hear him already? Um, Darnell right. Brown was a WGA writer's trainee for the BET series American Soul and is currently a story editor of an as of yet unannounced HBO series. Like, Damn, you make it sound so good. I, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. exciting. <laughs> Everybody welcome Darnell Brown. Yay! Thank you, thank you. Doing digital bows, digital bows. Yeah. Yes. Thank y'all for having me. I appreciate it. Of yeah, course, thank you for of coming course. on. Yes. So we start off with a would you rather? And they're usually very silly. Um, I've been, you know, on the socials for I mean, we all have been, and I think mm-hmm. I've been too encompassed in it. Um, but would you rather be unable to use search engines or unable to use social media so i will uh pose it to our guests first what do you think darnell i mean i think that's that's easy i would i'm perfectly cool with being without social media that like Mm -hmm. not even a question for sure yeah yeah there were there was definitely a time when things were getting kind of cray cray with america showing its ass that i had to get off of twitter because twitter became like an echo chamber of hate and anger and you know Mm -hmm. cancel culture so yeah, I'm good without social media. I mean, I will miss all of the Instagram photos and all that, but you know, we can do without that. So, facts, facts, facts. What about you, Corey? So yeah, uh, yeah, same. Social media can go. Um, I ain't got time for that these days. Um, so, uh, search engines, like, I don't see how people survive without a search engine. <laughs> I do not understand how the ancestors made it through without a search engine because, like, that's literally how I know anything that I know. So. Yeah, definitely search engines and uh, buy social media. I am good yeah. about it. Somewhere librarians are just like flipping over in their graves, like we were search <laughs> engines before they were a thing. But, ah, <laughs> the got time to be flipping through a book. Okay, right, right. Yeah. Paper cuts. <laughs> what it is? What was it called? I think it was called the Dewey Decibel System. Yep. It was like killed it, it. killed it. Yeah, with the numbers that look like quarks. Oh, yeah. the things we had to do. Mm-hmm. My God. Um. Yeah, I agree. I am. Yeah, we can throw social media away. Although I will miss the sort of like the culmination of foolishness that happens on social media, right? Like we wouldn't have, like I I know I wouldn't have the bang, right? I would not have that. (laughs) That was not for Instagram, (laughs) you know? But you can, it's, I mean, truly. And then, you know, I, I mean, I could search all that stuff. You know, there's YouTube and all that stuff, but you know um things like that like uh so much fun truly 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 so yeah we'll move on go ahead Corey. i know you got the no better do better yes so moving into our no better do better segments i just have a very simple little tidbit for y'all nothing happens overnight so this can be about writing it can be about the industry child can just be about life just know that nothing happens Mm -hmm. overnight 
there's a saying like it takes 10 years, you know, uh, an overnight success usually takes 10 years and it doesn't always have to take 10 years, but just know bitch, it's going to take a while. So Facts. put your time in, work hard and just know that everything is culminating to that moment. So just be patient. I think that is the name of the game is patience. Just have it, practice it, practice gratitude too for where you are right now in your process, in your journey. And just know that, you know, you'll get there one day um, and just be ready for it, you know, be prepared and get yourself ready. So yeah, I just wanted to put that out there to the people because I've been, you know, having to practice my patience lately. So um, I know y'all probably in the same space right now. So yeah, I just wanted to let y'all know nothing happens overnight, but just, um, just stay ready and uh, always be grateful for where you're at right now. That was a good sermon right there. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you, child. Has, has to play around. Has to play around. Offering <laughs> it. Size and offerings. I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> Take PayPal and Venmo. <laughs> cash app. You know, another okay. cash app. We got to get that cash app going. Gotta do it. <laughs> All right. So our next segment we're going to roll right into is the news. And so there's been a lot going on. I definitely saw on social media, which I thought was super, super cute. But um, yeah, your girl Yara Shahidi, of course, if you don't know who she is, welcome to Earth, I guess. Um, she is um, one of the stars, one of the children's, the ch child stars in Blackish. But of course, she's the star of the Grownish spinoff. And she has been tapped to play Tinkerbell in Disney's upcoming live action. Peter Pan film uh, from David Laurie. So um, it's going to be exciting. I like how Disney, I mean, I like, I kind of thought they were a little bit late, but welcome, I guess. Um, you know, I, I'm glad I, I, I haven't looked on social media to see if the whites are mad at this uh, particular. Because, <laughs> woo! Uh, if you don't remember, um, this is following the precedent on which uh, Disney started casting um, actresses of color, mostly black women, for some of their uh, fairy tale, classic fairy tale stories. So uh, there was a big hullabaloo when um, Haley uh, Bailey, um, if you don't know her, she is also on Grownish, but she is part of the twin uh, musical duo Allium and uh, Chloe, um, who have amazing songs. Um, and again, welcome to the earth if you don't know them. Um, and she would be playing Ariel, but a lot of whites were not happy with the fact that Ariel- Did you just say whites like from like Black Klansmen? Whites, I love that. That was whites. Yes, they were. <laughs> the only way to so say I mean, and Ariel's a mermaid. So mm -hmm. I don't know why <laughs> like, we're acting like- She has going. to be white. <laughs> That's not a real. She has to know how to sing. That's really it, and have red hair, Period. right? Like any more than that. Period. Yeah. And yeah, Hallie can do that very well. Um, so going back to Yara Shahidi's role as Tinkerbell, she's actually going to be joined by Jude Law, who will be playing Captain Hook, and mm -hmm. Alexander Maloney. I don't know who that is, but um, congratulations to him. And then um, <laughs> Ever Anderson, who will play Peter Pan, and will be in it. So I think that's that's really cool. I'm congratulations to her. This is she's also going to be like a producer on it. So you know, a lot of these you know, young stars, they coming up, they have their businesses ready, okay? The LLCs are filled out. <laughs> they come in like, 
<laughs> like we want the credit so i support you in that sis i think it'll be really cool to see and of course this is a little bit different because this is i believe this is live action whereas the little mermaid is is a film that's supposed to be released um in theaters hopefully you know we see what corona does but of course we've seen other distribution um types through you know netflix and the streaming services so shout out to her good job sis keep collecting coins and when i grow up i would like to uh be you that would be great yeah <laughs> yep, yep. congrats i mean yes honestly that's that's really great um okay so moving on to our next story of course we're gonna always stay anytime you come to the news and it's about chadwick boseman we're always going to announce it we don't care um this is from oh of course we get a lot of our news from shadow and act if you don't know what shadow and act is it is a online publication that focuses on black and brown um creatives and actors writers all the all the tea if you will um but more so like hollywood reporters so trade more so a trade um, publication. So Chadwick Boseman, um, there's a story, his co-star of 21 Bridges, which was a movie, I think it was released, I believe on Netflix. I think that was the original distribution. I will double check. But um, his co-star, uh, Sienna Miller, uh, she played alongside of him. And basically he made sure that she was paid uh, she was paid what she was worth on the job. Uh, there was actually a story where basically um, the network was not trying to pay her what she wanted and it was, she didn't even want to work. He actually recruited her. He loved her work. He was like, come back, be in this great movie with me. And they were not trying to give her her coin. And so he decided that he was going to come out of his salary, donate it to make sure it matched to where she should have been paid, right? So, I mean- once again, like we did not deserve uh, Chadwick. Putting Boseman. your money where your mouth is, for real. And yeah, really supporting you know equal pay in a very real way. And for her to you know keep that story, um, unfortunately, it came out of course after his passing. But I think it goes to show the kind of character um, that we're all discovering that he was, um, the great integrity that he had, and continues to have as people like continue to like keep him uplifted and keep his legacy going. So yeah. definitely a great story. And I hope, I mean, I think a lot um, a lot of other men have done it too. I don't, well, okay. Let me not say a lot. I know there are some other um, actors and um, people in the industry who have like, oh, this is not correct. Let me go ahead and, you know, make it rain in your bank account because you deserve, you know? So yeah, again, shout out to Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman, his spirit. Rest in power. Ugh, we did not deserve him. Mm -hmm. Like, period. Oh, Lord Jesus. <sighs> All right. We'll let that go. But next, another uh, young human who is out here, like, honestly, just on some boss moves. It's it's quite beautiful. And, like, I am also very, like, jelly, like, so jealous at the same time. So Marce Martin, she's developing an unscripted series called Baddies on trail trailblazing Black women. Words, I have them. Wow. Yeah, so again, amazing. Um, if you don't know, she is again from uh, Blackish. She's one of the children. She plays Diane, one of my favorite characters 
probably written for a child on television, honestly. If for some reason you have not watched Blackish, please do so um, and see her work. But also, if you're like, oh, I want to see her in films, well, she gave you one in 2019 called Little that she starred in with Issa and Regina Hall. Don't want to fuck up the Reginas, but they're all great. And she, I mean, she was the youngest executive, like she made history as the youngest executive producer. And now she's making more history because uh, since she has an overall deal, she might be, she, I think, believe she is the youngest um, to be an executive producer of, and have an overall television deal in Hollywood. Um, and she's currently the ripe old age of 16. So she's out here just, Slang. And the whole idea, I'm going to read it straight from the article. Um, so the, the whole unscripted series, again, is focused on trailblazing Black women. And it's with ITV, uh, America's Sirens Media. And it's tentatively called Baddies. I really hope they keep that title because I kind of like it. <laughs> like, it stays. I, I approve. Um, and her um, production company is Genius Entertainment. And they'll be um, producing that again with these LLCs they're getting coins we're not playing here so basically um Marseille says black women have always contributed to American culture you know I'm just gonna read that again I don't know if uh um black women have always contributed to American culture she said wow just you know <laughs> Uh, exclusive statement in the Hollywood Reporter. They've just never gotten the recognition. And this show is a fun way of letting people know how dope we are. Well, come on through with purpose, like slay <laughs> once again, young lady, because my God, it's just, I wanted to make sure everyone heard that because, you know, some people, they might not know, Yeah, you know? So yeah, so she's out here. Uh, they're going to be working on baddies. Um, I can't wait for it to come out. Um, and yeah, she's doing the damn thing. Look out for that. I, of course, like most blacks, will be watching. <laughs> I mean, you said she's sixteen. Mm -hmm. Damn, what was I doing? I was not being that dope at sixteen. Jeez, somewhere being an idiot. I know that mm -hmm. much. So. Yeah. Pretty <laughs> Shouts out pretty to her. Damn. Yeah, she was great. I, I'm sure I was watching Daria or something like with <laughs> Not starting my own business. So yeah, so um, yeah, again, more chat with Bozeman um, News. Um, Downtown Disney unveils a chat with Bozeman Mural. This was really cool because I definitely saw this on social media. Um, the artist who did the mural, his name was, is, excuse me, Nicholas Smith. Um, and it shows, if you're not familiar with the image, it shows uh, Chadwick Boseman doing the Wakanda Forever salute to a young child in like a hospital robe. And they had the uh, Black Panther mask, right? And so they blew it up. It's in downtown Disneyland. Mm -hmm. Um, of course, um, the restaurants are open, but of course, all of uh, the, the rides are closed. Um, so yeah, so the um, artist um, on his Instagram um, post wrote, uh, this is a special one. Uh, my King Chad tribute is now on the wall, on display at Downtown Disney. It is a full circle moment for me. My final two projects as a Disney Imagineer last summer were working on the, child's, the Children's Hospital Project and the Avengers Campus. So um, shout out to him for being an Ima Imagineer. Um, I just have a gut feeling that there's not too many Blacks in the program, but I could be wrong. You know, Never know. I just... Yeah, you never know, but I don't trust Disney. They now putting black people as Tinkerbell and shit. So okay, um, yeah, it's beautiful. If you haven't seen it, go see it. It's just another portrayal and, and another 
again, solidifying Chadwick Boseman's legacy at a short time here. And it's just such a beautiful essence of like, whew, a beautiful essence of who he is and what he's done. So check that out. And the last piece of news, I actually, Darnell, would love to get your input on it. You might know it a little bit more since you are in the industry. Um, and if not, it's okay. We probably need to ask a lawyer, quite frankly. Um, so yes, so the headline is Mixish Team, ABC sued by actress who said they stole her concept, right? Mm -hmm. So behind the team of Mixish is being sued. And I'm reading straight off of the Shadow and Act article here because there's so many different layers. Um, so the team behind Mixish is being sued by an actress who claims the idea of the show is hers, right? So we all know Mixish, uh, Kenya Barris, ABC, and uh, Tracy Ellis Ross are among those being sued by the actress. Ooh. Her name is Haley Marie Norman, who claimed that she signed a deal with Big Breakfast to star, executive produce, and write a similar series in 2017. Per The Hollywood Reporter, Big Breakfast is the sister company to production slash management company artist first, which involves Barris and Ross as its client roster. So Norman and Ross also shared the same manager, Brian Dobbs, right? And Norman is suing for a breach of confidence, um, breach of contract, intentional interference with the contract and initial representation. So they go a little bit deeper into like when she pitched when she you know talked about the idea and apparently she had conversations um i think with ross and with her manager about this idea of you know a focus of the protagonist of a um, biracial young lady who's trying to figure out what it means to be mixed in america with the backdrop of her family both the black side and the white side right which is pretty much mixed i mean it just is um so i'm Let's see, so I'm gonna read, let me make sure I got this quote right. Oh, so this is from her attorney. And his name is Michael uh, Polsker, right? So it says, literally everyone involved in the creative and production aspect of Mixish was either directly or indirectly involved with Norman and the development of Norman's series for Big Breakfast to Ross and the artist first and Dobbins to Barris who uh, ostensibly, come on big words, um, passed on Norman's series after being presented with it and to ABC, which knowingly proceeded with airing a series it knew was the result of theft and the ripoff of a, what is this? Penetrated by the above mentioned parties, right? So not only like was it shared, but she pitched it to a whole bunch of people, including ABC, including uh, Kenya Barris and everybody passed. And then later on, all of a sudden it was developed for ABC essentially in the same way. Now there's little nuances that they made it um, come out of the spinoff for Blackish, which I don't know in a court of law if they're going to go back and forth with that. If I were a good lawyer, I would. But um, yeah, I just find that very interesting, particularly the fact that she pitched to these people a year before. It's documented like that she was working on this project through The Hollywood Reporter. And of course, if you're a writer, you should be uh, what's the word? Registering your work with the WGA, which in this article they did make mention of. So it seems super complicated. Um, and from this article, I don't know, I'm kind of like, I'm with sis. I'm like, oh, I think somebody 
somebody needs to give her her money but i don't know so wondering what do you, what do you what do you think of this it's it's a complicated issue for sure i i just read about it um recently so okay I, I, what i can say is i before i became a screenwriter i was a um legal videographer so i worked with attorneys a lot so mm. i do know it's always one of those things it's like got to wait till you get all the info, especially with these, you know, kind of complicated situations, because we all know about the Stranger Things situation that happened a couple of years too, something mm -hmm. very similar. So, mm. so I don't know, it's it's always difficult, especially as writers, but um, yeah. yeah, I don't know, we'll have to see how this shakes out. Um, Copyright Office too, you mentioned the WGA registering it, mm. shout out to everybody, yes. make sure you get your stuff um, copyrighted with the, the Copyright Office, the thing with the WGA, I think it's only for like 10 years, but okay. look like the Copyright Office, it's like, you know, forever, so. Ever, ever. All right. Here you go, so, yeah. yeah, what do you think, uh, Corey, before we move on? Um, yeah, I think it sounds like this, it's a very layered issue. I mean, just going off the information that we have right now, I mean, it kind of does sound like something was going on, but I feel like these things happen all the time. It doesn't make it right, but it happens all the time. But, I mean, I would like to hear more about what you know more developments about what happened because it's it's interesting to me i yeah. mean these things always interest me but you know i like the i like the juice and the tea so anyways <laughs> so we can get into main segment So we were just going to read Darnell's bio from his website, but I like to hear about people's journeys and their stories through their own words. Cause you know, sometimes things don't make it into the bio, right? So we want to hear um, in your own words, just give us an overview of your journey to where you are now um, in your career. Anything you want to say, anything that you want to include, just, just let us know. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess it kind of started. I went to school first for uh, screenwriting and narrative video. Well, yeah, screenwriting and narrative video at uh, the University of Arts in Philadelphia. Um, I guess the thing that really got me attention was I wrote a script called um, The Good Book, which was basically Breaking Bad in a Black Church. And instead of Heisenberg and a science teacher, it was a minister. And instead of him selling crystal meth, you know, blue magic, he was selling lies. So, you know, I won a screenwriting contest um, with that script. Um, and that script got me to, um, I got signed by Echo Lake Management um, first. And then, you know, I was like, hey, can I do this whole TV writing thing while I live out in Philly? And they were like, nah, you can't do that, <laughs> you know, because you could, you could get set up for meetings and those meetings happen within, you know, 24 hours and you're not going to be able to fly out from Philly to LA and, you know, make those meetings. So, I decided to pack up my Kia Forte and I drove out west and couch surfed, you know, for a couple months. And, you know, I was out here. And I guess from there, um, I was signed for about a year and a half. Didn't really, you know, just to be quite frank, didn't take advantage of the opportunity. I wasn't writing as much, but I didn't have a good sense of the type of writer that I wanted to be um, mm -hmm. at that point. So I got dropped. And then, you know, everybody, you know, you have those peaks and valleys. I didn't really know what I was doing. And um, my manager at the time, I, you know, I left Echo Lake and the guy that ran the contest that got me to Echo Lake, he ended up becoming my manager. Um, and we were just pounding the pavement. He told me to write something new. Um, like I told you guys before, I was a, um, a mental health professional 
for a few years. So I decided to write a script about that because, you know, we don't talk about mental health in the black community at all. Um, and I wanted to write a script about that. That script became Liz. Um, Liz was the script that um, kind of got me to HBO and everything like that. But um, before that, 2018, um, Issa Rae's um, company and BET had a TV writing contest called Script to Screen. I was one of the three finalists for that. So in 2018, I ended up going to the American Black Film Festival um, out in uh, South Beach, Miami. That was pretty dope. Got to go for free. So that's always- Ooh, okay. Yeah, right? That's Come on. Great, right? And that was the first film festival that I ever been to. So that was a really um, great experience to sit down with um, Issa and Denise Davis, her producing partner, um, Mo Marable, who's the director of Woke, you know, and did a bunch of things over there. Like just met a bunch of really great people. Um, so that experience happened in 2018, um, 2019 rolled around and um, I submitted Liz, um, the script about um, mental health in the black community to um, the HBO fellowship and also sent it to um, the Warner Media ABFF contest to that next year. So that's what the writing, the TV writing contest was for the American Black Film Festival in 2019. I ended up getting um, called for the semi-finalist round for HBO um, at the same time that I found out that I won um, the drama writing um, contest for the Warner Media ABFF thing. So I was going into the meeting for HBO about to pitch my supposed dope ass ideas to HBO, but I was nervous as hell because I just found out about this, you know, ABFF thing. Went in there, um, actually found out that I didn't screw it up completely and I actually got into the HBO <laughs> fellowship, you know what I mean? So um, did that, I went back to ABFF for a second time, met a bunch of, you know, great people in 2019. And that was another great experience. Just more um, confirmation that, you know, God definitely did put me on this path. And um, after the fellowship, I got an opportunity to, um, during that time, I was a legal videographer. So I was traveling a lot um, around the world, um, shooting depositions for attorneys. And then I got an opportunity to be the um, WGA writers trainee for season two of American Soul. And WGA writers trainee is kind of in the middle of just for the like hierarchy so people know. So there's, you know, writers PA and then there's writers assistant and then staff writer. Um, WGA writers trainee is like right between, I think like W, uh, like the, the PA and writers assistant essentially. So you're really there to shadow and pick up information. Um, but I had a great experience to let me sit at the table with the other writers. I got to, you know, pitch ideas and just, sit next, you know, it was just a, for me to have never been in a room to go from that to sitting at the table with all these great writers. That was an incredible um, experience. Did that while I was in the fellowship with HBO, I wrote a pilot um, with them. And then I got an opportunity to um, meet with a showrunner for this HBO limited series that they were doing. And I went in there to a coffee shop, met with that showrunner, did my normal like spaz out black dude thing that I do. And we spoke for about like 90 minutes, not once really talked about the show, but we vibe really well. And then I found out I got the job and I was within a week, I quit being a legal videographer to be a story editor on this limited series um, for HBO. And now I am sitting talking with you lovely ladies talking about the industry. So yeah, yeah. there we go. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Super amazing uh, journey. I love to hear about people's like paths into the industry. I feel like everyone has a different path. So 
thank you for giving us, you know, in your own words, an overview of how you got to this space. I'm sure people appreciate getting, you know, some behind the scenes um, look about, you know, how they can get their foot in the door. But yeah, thank you. That was great. No problem, for sure. That was amazing. That was amazing. I'm really curious, how did you know you were ready to submit? So I guess this is more of a question of your process, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, whenever I'm writing, I'm very impatient. So like, I just, I truly just want to do three drafts and be finished, but that's not how greatness is made. Right. <laughs> like this is, it's just not. <laughs> so how do you know when your piece is at a good place to be submitted? And how do you get to that sort of journey and that sort of knowing like, okay, I know it's ready to go. Well, uh, that's an interesting question. So, you know, having the school background, like I, you know, I knew how to write, like I knew mm -hmm. an inciting incident has to be unexpected intramotional core, you know, blah, 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 you know, all that stuff. I think it's, it's more not about knowing the mechanics of writing, but like, like your question is, how do you know, like in your heart that your writing is good. And a lot of that just came down from being in writers groups, you know, and, and being in writers groups that you trust, not being in writers groups where it's just a bunch of circle jerking going on where you're good. No, you're great. That script's awesome. Like, no, nah, like you don't want to be in a group where you trust the people and they're going to give you really good, um, uh, actionable, um, notes, constructive, um, and critical notes. And I just, I was in a, a great writers group for um, a number of years, um, moved around. And like I said, I was lucky in that um, the guy that ran the, the contest that I won that got me to my first management company, he ended up becoming my manager. So I had somebody to send, you know, my mm -hmm. material to, and he kind of helped guide, you know, my, my, my career when I was writing um, and things like that. So I definitely think you need an advocate but not like a friend that's just going to co-sign whatever you do, but somebody that's going to give you the real shit. Like if it sucks, you need somebody to tell you that it sucks and that you trust them. And if it's good, you know, you need to be able to trust that is good, but I'm with you. I'm impatient, but I'm also, um, I think everything that I write sucks ass. So it's like, sometimes you yeah. just kind of have, like, I'll, I will redo stuff till the ends of the earth. So I think, um, it's a hard question. I know I didn't like effectively answer your question. How do you know? Um, when, when you feel like you're making like minute changes, you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. like, you got to get to a point, like, what is it that I want to say? If I feel like what I wanted to say is now on the page and I'm just changing like a little bit of dialogue or something like that, um, then it's ready, you know, and just, just kind of trust yourself. Really. Amen. Okay. Well, when you mentioned one thing I think is super, super interesting. Well, not really interesting. I think a lot of us are working as we are writing, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, how well number and you were traveling around the world. So Yeah. And I worked <laughs> at Whole Foods across from um the Grove too at a certain point. So I, I did it. Ooh. I did it all. I was I was working at Whole Foods across from the Grove right when I got the job at HBO. So I literally went from wow. making y'all sandwiches at <laughs> to, <laughs> in a writer's room it was you know it was an interesting transition so yeah oh funny that's right across from the wga hell yeah Foundation, oh right? yeah a lot of people will, will come in from the wga you know dawson the the guy that um damn i'm forgetting his name but the actor that played dawson leary from dawson's creek he came in there one time and oh yeah yeah so a lot of a lot of people coming vanderbeek yeah james like, vanderbeek that's it yeah yeah shout out james yeah yeah <laughs> That is dope. So, okay. So how did you, 
So, okay, how did you one balance and maybe that's never a real thing. Mm -hmm. And then also, how did you like keep going, particularly in the moment where you were able to get, you know, the management um, to kind of get you to come out from, you know, Pennsylvania to LA mm -hmm. and then be dropped and then trying to figure out and because I would have went right back home after that. I'd have been like, well, <laughs> time to give up. You know, like, I know what time it is. Thank right. you, Lord. I'm not supposed to do this. But yeah, how did you, yeah, how did you balance that and still keep going after that sort of setback, if you will? Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of it is it's 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 a bunch of things. Some of it is I have really, really dope, amazing parents that were super supportive but they weren't fitting to let me just stay up in the crib and not do anything. Mm -hmm. So, you know, part of that whole ideology of like, I'm just going to give up and come back is that you believe that you have another option. Like mm -hmm. I can go after writing, but it doesn't really matter if it doesn't work. Cause I know I can always stay in the basement at my parents' crib and da, 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 da. My right. parents love me, but I, I can't stay. In, there is no option. I either make this work or I make this work, you know? So that was, that was one of the first things. So it really wasn't an option of giving up. Um, I was also raised in a church. Um, you know, I'll just be facts. It's, it's about faith, you know, like I'm crazy, you know, he didn't do, but I still, you know, have to be faithful. And it's like, I know that God didn't put me on his path to, to fail, you know, so I just keep going and pushing and it got hard, you know, but you, you believe that these stories that I want to tell, are important and you just yeah. keep pushing forward you go from traveling the world and writing these stories to losing that job and you know now you're working at whole foods making you know sandwiches and you think it's not going to work out but the stories never leave your dream um to tell those stories never leave it just gets harder to see it you mm. know so you just keep pushing so i think to answer your question how do you keep pushing forward um i kept the balance because i kept an ipad pro with a keyboard, so it made it easy to, to keep writing wherever I was. Um, the job that I had as a legal videographer was a job that allowed me to kind of disconnect my brain and keep writing. Um, so that's how I could write while I was doing my job. But even when I was working at Whole Foods, how I was able to keep that balance was just, this was just, this is something that I wanna do. Writing is something that makes me happy and it's something that I think I'm meant to do. And ain't nobody in the world that's gonna stop me from doing that specifically, not myself. So you just keep you keep pushing it, you know? And it'll, you'll find a way, like you said in your earlier segment, you know, you'll find a way, you'll figure it out. I know that's right. I know that's right. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Brother Brown for that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so you have you usually been writing dramas or have you written both? How did you kind of figure out what path you wanted to go in terms of that? That's that's so funny because you know the good book, the thing I told you about, the, the that was straight drama, and that's the thing that you know got me to Issa's contest and got me to ABFF. Um, when I got into um, the HBO fellowship, um, that was a, outside of it being HBO and all of what that means. Um, it was a great experience and that it really helped me to um, understand the type of man that I want to be in the world and the type of writer that I want to be. And when I stopped, for lack of a better word, when I stopped giving a fuck and I just wrote the way that I felt, apparently I write dramedies 
that's just, I guess, my like normal <laughs> like tone. Like there's moments when I'm super serious and it's, you know, the good book stuff. And there are some times when I'm writing about buying a bottle of hot sauce and going through it in one night. You know what I mean? Like I just write crazy, <laughs> crazy stuff, you know? So I think um, I didn't always know that I was going to be writing like dramedy stuff. I don't put, I don't think of myself as a comedy writer. I don't think I'm, you know, that funny, but I think when I'm not thinking and I just write what I feel that that natural stuff comes out. So, um, yeah, I just, it just kind of happened, you know, and that was definitely a, a HBO, them pushing you to be your most authentic self and don't try to be somebody that you think the industry wants you to be, just be yeah. you, you know? And if you is the cat that listens to Jay-Z and Hans Zimmer and, or eats fried chicken and beef Wellington, or, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> if you are like a mix, then don't try to be one or the other, just be that nigga that's in the mix and write that stuff. And when I did that, that became dramedy. So, so yeah, I didn't know, it's kind of happened. <laughs> well, hey, that's life. Yeah. That is life. Okay. Okay, so, and this is probably a question that a lot of people need right now in terms of mm -hmm. just like motivation, keeping yourself going in these crazy ass times mm -hmm. in America, mm -hmm. in ghetto ass America. Mm -hmm. so how do you, <laughs> how do you continue to practice and improve upon your craft? I know people, a lot of people are working from home right now or they're home a lot and it's easy to get off track. So how do you continue to kind of practice that craft and um, hone that craft and just get it better? Um, I would say it, it's, it's, it's a bunch of things. For me, I'm constantly um, inspired by people. So in order for me to be able to keep telling stories, everything that I do can't be about writing, you know? So it's like, I think in this mm -hmm. time, we're sitting at home all day. And if we're not like in a writer's room, we're thinking, oh man, we gotta be super productive. So I gotta write 50 pages today, you know? And for me, I just had to come to a place where it's like, that's, that's not the goal. The goal is also to live. And the more that I live, the more that I keep that balance, the more I can go out there and people watch and, and get stories, you know what I mean? So um, to how do I keep practicing the craft? I make sure that there is a balance, you know, and I try to, you know, come up with ideas. Every day I write, but every day isn't, I'm getting on final draft and, and writing pages. Sometimes it's, you know, I talk to my crazy sister and she says something and that inspires me. So then I write that down in my notes and like, maybe I'll write, an idea, um, you know, come come with that thing. Or I have five different scripts that I'm kind of like working on at once, you know, and I just kind of tell myself to write Monday through Friday. Weekends are not for writing. Weekends are, are for balance and for living and things like that. And um, I know there was an exercise that we did in HBO that I do um, sometimes when I try to get out of um, mental breaks. Um, they had us pick up a magazine and in one minute tear a bunch of pages out, the, just like pictures that all pictures that looked dope. Um, well, they gave us 30 seconds. You pull pictures out and then in the next 30 seconds, come up with log lines based on those pictures. And mm -hmm. what that exercise is for is, is sometimes let's say you're going in a general meeting and you prepare for that meeting and you think you got everything ready and then you sit down in that lobby and they ask you if you want water and you say, yeah, and the minute you grab that water, all of your ideas just fall out of your brain. And you're like, I don't know what the hell I'm gonna say in this meeting, but you gotta come in there with more than just that one idea. You gotta be able to pitch stuff. What are the things that are always in the lobby? Magazines. So if you're able to look at a magazine, look at a picture of, let's say some 
old white woman in a park with her grandma, you look at that picture and say, oh, I want to do a action dramedy where a grandma is a retired secret agent and she has to take her grandson across the country and the person who used to be her partner is now chasing her and it's Helen Mirren and you know Octavia Spencer. I don't know, you know what I mean? Like you just come up with an idea based on some picture and it's able to keep your brain moving, you know? So stay balanced, definitely to answer your question, I would say stay balanced. Don't try to write all the time, you know, live. You know, living is writing because you, you have to okay. you have to live to come up with really great authentic characters. If you're not living, your character is going to be weak as fuck. You know, nobody wants to write a show with weak ass characters. So, I know that's right. I know that is right. Thank you for that. That was a good um, answer to that question because I know a lot of people are probably like trying to stay productive right in this time. You're like, I need to do this and this. I need to be working at all times, or I'm like lazy, or I'm not doing mm. much. So, that's very important. Like you said, to just have that balance and to and to live your life because you're right. You can't write anything if you don't. You don't have any experience to go on. So thank you for that. I appreciate that question myself. That's something I've been struggling with lately. Good so. question. That's a good question. <laughs> Come on, research. <laughs> um, so um, kind of like, I guess, going back, like, of course, one of our dreams, and I'm, you know, speaking into life, we will experience yep. Where's that this. power? soon um so being in the writer's room mm -hmm. like what were some of your i guess not only highs and lows but some of the misconceptions that you thought going in that might have been different or just your general experience yeah um i i can say my first experience being in a writer's room was with the um the the american soul you know thing and i think all of us have gone online and saw you know, when people talk about your first experience being in a room, you know, be seen and not heard, you know, let everybody, you know, let the other upper level people get to seat, like sit back and, you know, just kind of fall back. I think I went into the room with that kind of mentality and I was just falling back and I'll never forget. Um, I, I, I went in there and I was sitting back and one of the writers, she turned around and she's like, what you doing? And I was just like, I'm, you know, I'm just chilling. I'm, I'm letting y'all do your thing. And she's like, hey, come up here, sit you with us. And I sat at the table and that was the first moment where it's just like oh like this is a, a a family this is a a we're all trying to you know tell a great story and i'm a part of that process you know what i mean so and it was great not all rooms are like that so i don't want to tell everybody like go in there and get your seat and sit down and you know make that yeah that ain't that's not every room i'm just saying that the american soul room that i was in it was a really it was a small room but it was they were just really supportive i just i was really lucky and blessed to get two opportunities. My first opportunity to be in a room were with two dope women showrunners and they were just really very different, but really inclusive and really supportive and taught me a lot and gave me opportunities to feel like a part of the team. Um, so that that's the first kind of misconception that the, the room kind of broke that you need to fall back and be seen and not heard. And um, that that misconception um, was broken pretty easily. Um, when I worked on the HBO show, um, I, I guess the, the great experience there was just kind of um, opening yourself up um, in a way where your personal experience um, becomes part of the show, but you're also connecting with all these people in a really quick way. It's kind of weird. It's like you're all kind of going through this weird 
therapy session and then the things that you're putting out in the therapy session end up being on the page sometimes. And that was just a great opportunity to, because you, you have to be open in the room. You can't be somebody that is kind of closed off and um, not willing to open up because writing is about be, being able to go to go to emotional places that um, maybe other people can't. Um, so that was a great experience. Um, I'm trying to see what else. Um, seeing how the notes, you know, like work, like getting notes from the studio and network. I mean, those are just important things that like you, you can think that you know when you're not in a room, but like actually seeing that process and being getting notes from your friends or your, your colleagues in a writer's group. And when somebody gives you a note that you don't like and how you can be like, well, F you, you don't know what you're talking about. You can't say that to a network. You can't say that, you know, to a studio, you know, and you got to find ways to understand um, what the phrase note behind a note means, you know, mm -hmm. when somebody says something and they may be bumping on something and maybe what they're saying isn't the thing, but the thing beneath that is the thing. So if somebody's bumping on why they don't understand why this character is a certain way, but that note that they're giving you isn't clear. Maybe it's because it's something with your plot or maybe it's something with the dialogue, you know? See, I, I learned that you have to be really great at understanding notes and digesting notes. Um, understanding to um, be willing to pitch things, but don't be precious with your pitches. You may think that that's the dopest idea in the world, but guess what? 30 seconds later, somebody's gonna come with a idea that's more dope than yours. And you gotta be cool with that because you are a part of a tapestry, you know, and we're all painting a picture and we all have different brushes. Your brush is different than everybody else, but it isn't any more important than anybody else's. And you have to be ready to use your brush, but understand that somebody else can come right behind you and do the same thing, but we're all painting that picture, you know? And that was something that I, I learned um, right. being in the writer's room, that it's, it's a collective. We're all trying to tell great stories for the audience. It ain't about us, it's about the story, you know? So, um, yeah. I think there's a bunch of other stuff, but those, those were like the, you know, the really um, great experiences. Um, it's different because with the HBO thing, we had five weeks in the room and then we had five weeks on Zoom. So that was, you know, our room kind of split in half, you know, we were really lucky in that sense because there's an actual character in our show um, that probably wouldn't exist if we weren't in the room, you know? So mm -hmm. the people that are advocating for Zooms all the as 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 great as having Zoom rooms are, and you don't have to be in LA and all that jazz. I'm all for that. You can't replicate the magic of being in a room with other writers and you know just bullshitting sometimes, and that magic just happens, and then mm -hmm. that becomes like the biggest thing. Um, so that's yeah, the, the magic of the room was another thing that I learned. You can't really replicate that. So um, okay, so. Thank you for that. That was really great information. And thank you for sharing those those tidbits for people who haven't been in a writer's room yet. That's mm -hmm. really, really helpful for them to kind of know what to expect when they get in there, right? Because yeah. words, are, words are power. So we want to we wanna uplift everybody and let them know that you can make it wherever you want to be with your journey. Facts. Um, so you did talk about traveling the world, which is something that I would like to do when COVID is, is done being COVID. Mm -hmm. So how do you think, or what, in what ways do you think that influenced your writing? Um, a lot because, you know, I was a guy from the hood. I was from a predominantly black, you know, area, pretty violent and didn't really leave, um, the Eastern seaport. And within, you know, like a matter of 
weeks I was in London getting off a plane at Heathrow. And I think seeing other black people across the world is going to change the way you look at life, seeing how the other, how other cultures interact with people who look like you um, changes it. Um, somebody telling you that the world is big, but you experiencing that the world is big are two different things. You know what I mean? And me understanding just the power that art has, like I, going to Amsterdam and hearing Alicia Keys music, hearing Jay-Z music in, in, a, in a taxi in Madrid. And the dude doesn't know that, that, I guess that was the greatest experience being in an Uber in Madrid. I didn't speak the language. And yet I think Big Pimpin' or some of, one of Hoves is like songs came on and both of us were hitting the bars. And I was like, damn, yo, art is powerful, you know? <laughs> like art is powerful. Like, and I was just, I was rapping with him and he was, we weren't speaking before that song came on and we're just like not in our head. And I was like, that's like, so that, that definitely influences my writing and that I understand that um, art has power, you know, like art definitely has power, but more than that, um, traveling influenced my writing and understanding um, that I definitely wanted my um, perspective as a black man in this country and in this world to influence my writing. Um, because there were a lot of situations where I walked into rooms where I was the only person that looked like me. Mm. Um, there were situations where I felt like I was, you know, whatever they call it now, code switching or like being the Carlton Banks and my hair was cut really short and trying to be the acceptable Negro in the room, you know, and you, you get a full understanding and acceptance of that when you go to another country and you can look professional and they still, like Hove said, still nigga, you know, they still treat you yeah. like a nigga. So, um, traveling um, found its way into my writing in that I want to change the way people see us um, through some of the stories um, that I tell and and try to just talk about where I'm from in a, a different way um, and kind of give people an idea that like we, we are out here. We're not just in you know, Philly, New York, Atlanta, you know, Houston, we're not just in the place where they think black people are. We're everywhere. There's a lot of black people in Paris. You know, there's a lot of black people all over the world. There's not enough, uh, but they all, you know, digest our culture, you know, and we have an opportunity to show them the multi layers of our culture. And that's, that's the, the, uh, the really dope thing for me. Like they only know certain parts of what it means to be black. We have an opportunity to show them the Donald Glover version of black, the Issa Rae version of black, the Kenya Bears version of black, you know, and all that. So, so yeah, traveling definitely um, helped uh, with my writing to make it a little bit more, uh, more dope, I guess. That's not a good adjective, but I just always <laughs> use it when I went out, yeah. <laughs> it works. We all know. Yeah. We all know what you're talking about. When in about. doubt, use dope, right? When in doubt, just use dope. <laughs> I found myself in my, like, when I um, used to work for corporate, I found myself saying that shit mean as I'm like, oh wait, I'm in mixed mm -hmm. company. Let me let me chill out. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, but I get what you're saying. <laughs> that is great. So okay, so now you're at this place where you are a story editor mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. an HBO unannounced series. Right. For those of for those of us who aren't really sure what a story editor is like what are your like day-to-day -day 
duties? What are you doing if you're when you're in the writer's room? And how is it different from being on staff? How is it different from, you know, being a writer's assistant? Just to mm -hmm. kind of give people sort of an overview of what that means. Sure. Um, so I'll say up front. So the, the I'm not the, the room already closed. We finished towards the end of April. Um, so so it was like a 10 week um, job. Um, I will say, I'll preface it, every room is different. You know, like you, you, you may go to one room and the writer's PA is in the room and you might go to another show and the writer's PA isn't in the room. You know, so whatever I'm saying now isn't like across the board. Um, but what I will say is um, all of the different roles, you're, you're all storytellers and you're all breaking story. You know, I think the only difference really to me, the way I try to look at it is because I don't, I don't, you, you got to respect the hierarchy, you know, when there's a number two in the room, you don't want to, you know, act like you're tough shit, you know, you're more than somebody that's been doing this for a number of years. But at the end of the day, there's just got to be a certain point where you tell yourself, we're all writers, right? We're all there to tell a story. So my day to day job as a story editor um, for that, that series, um, I try to tell myself my showrunner brought me in because I was the character guy, I think characters is like my thing you know i think everybody has a thing like you may be good at plot blah 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 characters was my thing and the thing that i told her in the meeting um i think kind of resonated with her because i became attracted to the characters of the show so when i went in every day i just tried to get as emotionally attached and and drawn into these characters so whenever the other people and the other writers in the room did their thing i would do my thing in terms of saying I don't know if I would think that this character would do this or I would try to make it a little bit more. Mm. I wanted to sell the characters to myself so that like if I didn't believe like what we were talking about in a room, I would be like, oh, well, I was in that situation. Let's say one of the characters was a black guy in high school. And, you know, I would say, well, that doesn't feel authentic to me. You know, maybe we would, this is what my experience was being in the room. You know what I mean? So I think my my day-to-day -day job was just to be in a room and pitch story, um, whether I was a staff writer story editor or, or executive story editor in our room, everybody was kind of just sitting at the table, breaking story. Um, I think the hierarchy separated in the room when you're going out to do, you know, write your own scripts and things like that. Mm -hmm. That's when things um, kind of separate. But for me, it was easier to just go in the room and say, look, we're all here to do one thing, whether it's the writer's PA or the number two in the room. We have a story that we need to tell for this audience out there. And our job is to make sure that we get the best version of that story out there. And if my job is to write the note cards up on the board, on the whiteboard, or if my job is to take my personal experience of traveling the world or being from Chester or loving cheesesteaks, if that's my job or my job is making the copies, whatever that is, like my job is just to facilitate the story. Um, so that's, that's what I did. I came in every day, sat down. Um, we, you know, for those five weeks, I should say, before COVID, you know, shut us down, um, come in, you know, bond with everybody. And we just talked about the story and just kind of broke story. And I pitched. Um, sometimes those pitches were, were dope. Sometimes they were shitty. And you just keep throwing, throwing stuff out until you guys come to scripts and then it ends up on TV. So... Wow. Yeah. And then going back to, I think it's very interesting that you, you were on the job when the outbreak happened yes yes so what <laughs> was that experience like and i don't know sort of the structure i know the that writer's room is finished but yeah. kind of what are your are there any more duties that you have to do at post writer's room 
during COVID time or is that is that like shut down for you right now? Yeah, now it's just just a kind of waiting game, I think, for right now uh, in that sense of it. Um, okay. But um, in the room, what was the, the COVID experience like? It was it was interesting because our showrunner, you know, she kept telling us like, yo, this shit's going to get crazy. Just be prepared. So we were kind of already ready for it. She came in with yeah. the hand sanitizer every day and you know, she was, yeah, she was, she was ready for it. Um, what was great about it was those five weeks gave us an opportunity to bond, um, gave us an opportunity to really get um, a feel for each other. So when we moved to Zoom, um, it wasn't that weird thing where, you know, like if you're going on a weird date for the first time and you got to have that awkward, like, I don't know who you are and blah, blah. We didn't have any of that. Like we got on Zoom and it was like, oh, we already know each other. So we would, you know, do our little thing, little preamble where we joke for about 30 minutes and then we get into the story. So it, it, it was it was a bit of an easier transition for us. Um, I don't know what the experience is like for some of my other friends who their writers room started on Zoom. You know, so it's like you have to come up with that connective tissue um, through the digital wall of Zoom, um, which is possible. Obviously, people are doing it, but um, we we were really lucky yeah. in that we got to get to know each other for five weeks, um, laugh and get close and break story and see each other's faces and smells and food habits and laughs and all that type of stuff. Um, so, yeah, it, it was it wasn't as difficult, I'll, I'll say, even though like it, it was difficult in the country um, going on. Um, it was a good, yeah. easy kind of transition for us because we had that kind of, it, it worked out where it was right in the middle, I think, of our room when we um, split. Um, so yeah, we, we worked around it. Um, I'll see what it's gonna be like when I start writing, you know, in a writer's room, starting on like this from Zoom. We'll see what that's like. Ooh. Yeah. that. Cause the magic of being in a room, you, like I said, you can't really replicate that. Like that's, it's just an incredible experience. Just being able to walk around a room and you just don't know what's going to come up. And a lot of the times the things that make it in the script are some of those small moments that when you're just in the room throwing a tennis ball against the wall and you're like, you know, I want to put a scene about wall ball in the show. And maybe that becomes the most magical moment ever seen on television. You don't have that if you're on Zoom. You know, so yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting, especially because on Zoom it's like everybody doesn't know when to talk. I'm like, damn, can I, can I get, you know, can I speak now? So yeah, yeah. Be- and there's a lot of introverts as writers. You know what I mean? So we have a lot of people that have like uh, they don't, they're not the best communicators. That only gets magnified sometimes. You know, right when you're on yeah. a computer, and being on a computer is a lot more draining. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing to be in a room for like eight hours. You know, we're going to do this Zoom for what, an hour? Times it by like eight. That's every day, five days a week. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's it's draining. So yeah, it's a, it's definitely a different experience. But um, story still has got to be told. People still do their jobs. People are still killing it. You know what I mean? So, yeah. All you can do is, yeah. you know, keep on keeping on, child. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so... What would you say has been the hardest part of your journey so far? So I know you talked about being dropped from your representation. Would you say like that was the hardest part or was there another part of your journey that you would say was tough, but you were managed to make it through? I think the hardest part was, hmm. Like, I I, I guess the hardest part was 
not not the working at Whole Foods. That wasn't hard, you know, but I think what made it hard was not like having moments when like I did the Issa Rae thing, you know, had the, the HBO, like coming off of the HBO fellowship um, and then having those moments when like you're not in the writer's room and then, you know, you still got to go to work. You still got to make pizzas and stuff like that, you know, and um, it just becomes a little bit more difficult when things in your in your life get hard and they start encroaching on the the dream um so there were you know i think that was the hardest i think like when you start to doubt you have everybody has it right when you're like man am i doing the right thing you know what i mean like i've been doing this for a few years you know nothing's really popping yet bills are starting to become due la is expensive as hell like all those things just start happening at once you know and then 2020 wants to rear its ass and you know then you really start questioning you got to make sure sure that you know mental yeah. health is good and you got to do jobs so it was hard but um i would say moments of self-doubt were probably the hardest i've never had a difficulty in coming up with ideas and telling stories um the hardest part is just when things aren't going the way that you want them to yeah. go um still believing and it's hard to believe sometimes when everything that you're looking around isn't going the way that you want, but you still got to, I still had to like, just believe, you know, that, that this is going to, this is going to work out and understand that I, I can only give a hundred percent of what I'm doing, even though I'm sleeping on my friend's air mattress. I don't have control over that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm, maybe I'm working at Whole Foods. I don't have control over that. That's what God provided for me right now. I got Whole Foods sandwiches and an air mattress. I don't have control over that. What I do have control over are these stories in final draft in front of me. And I can just keep banging out, you know, dope stories. And that's what um, kind of kept me from <laughs> leaving LA, even though I got in my car a few times <laughs> and typed in Chester PA in the GPS. And was like, a week. <laughs> we out of here, <laughs> right? Yeah, we out of here. But you know, <laughs> you just, you just, you keep pushing, you know, and like that, that was, I would say to answer your question, those were, um, that was the hardest part, mm -hmm. I think. That is real, especially when you said that rent. Yeah, shot. yo, that's a, that's a whole nother podcast. I stayed at I, <laughs> I I lived at an artist commune in Silver Lake during the time, and that was like seven hundred dollars a month. Oh my God, with thirty people, you know, bunk bed. <laughs> yes, yeah, is yeah, yeah. For 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 the brethren who are in a places in the United States where $700 gets you like two bedroom, two bath all by yourself. Yeah. You balling not, back home, right? Right. That's not, that's not, uh -uh. that's not this. That's a closet out, that's a closet out here. That's Period. Like the old school beds that the Murphy beds and shit that mm -hmm. like come out the wall and shit. Damn, like. you took it back to the Murphy bed <laughs> So yeah, it got, it definitely got rough, but you keep, you keep going, right? You know, you just yeah. keep pushing at the end of the day. That's all you can do. It all becomes a part of your story. So shit, you know, just take the yeah. good with the bad. Mm -hmm. That's what I say. Um, so do you, did you have a question or? I do. Uh, I mean, before you go to the last question, it's more so like, I was just, as you were talking, I'm kind of wondering as when you're growing up, like what were some of the shows that kind of influenced you and mm -hmm. sort of like, your your storytelling thing and i also want to know if you have like a dream writer's room 
that you wanted to be in like shows that are on the air and not on the air like if it was just like this show if like if i had a chance to be in this room i wanted to be in that room what right would that be? yeah okay um so i i i i didn't always know i wanted to be a writer so i don't i don't really have shows that like were influencing me when i was younger like i want to do this I, I so but i will say um I was a big anime fan when I was younger. So I watched a lot of Dragon Ball Z and Naruto and Inuyasha and all that type of jazz. Um, Family Matters, of course. I mean, who didn't watch Family Matters? Martin, of course. Fresh Prince, of course. Um, I'm trying to see what else that I used to watch. Um, my dad um, made me watch this old black and white show on Nick and Knight called um, Get Smart. Um, it was just like <laughs> kind of spoof of like James Bond or whatever. So like that. That was definitely um, a great show. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I know, but I used to watch Dawson's Creek. I was obsessed <laughs> with it. You know what I mean? I was definitely <laughs> watched no every judgment. episode. Yeah, no judgment. I was on that show. I was on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was I was on it. Um, I don't wait. Right, right. Uh, I was I watched that a lot. Um, but I was a big movie fan. Like I loved I loved um Independence mm -hmm. Day. I watched that, John Lang. I bought the tape, watched it like when you got to really rewind. You know, <laughs> oh, okay. yeah, yeah, that was that was my John. Um <laughs> Armageddon, even to this day, somebody didn't believe me when I said this today, um, like a couple days ago. Armageddon is my favorite movie of all time. Like I could wow. watch that movie every single day. All, and I know it makes no sense. It's ridiculous and it's funny. I just I <laughs> love that movie. I, I that's so that's my that's my one of my favorite movies and um so but that inspired me a lot, like just the, you know, seeing what those movies could do. Like I remember going to go see um, Transformers and being in the theater with my dad and my uncle and we sat in the back, the first Transformers. And when that helicopter started, the blade started moving and we felt the theater like, <gasps> like sit back because that was the first time that we had ever seen something like that. Um, that really inspired me. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to make some stuff that, you know, made people have that kind of reaction um to to content um i actually started out doing poetry so okay. i watched oh, all that nice. tv yeah so i kind of got into writing through poetry um and then your other question was if there was a writer's room um dope uh i said dope um woke that's on hulu yeah. i yeah. love that show yeah. like if i could get because that character is me yeah. i'm that nigga like straight through and through that is me um so i, I when i watched it Matter of fact, I know it's me. Like it's me because there's a there's a scene in the in the pilot where they go to a barbershop and the, the owner of the barbershop name is Darnell. And I'm like, is it? They write. Bring me in, niggas. Bring me in. So yeah, if if I could if I could be on one show, it would definitely be woke because I love what they do yeah. with that show. I love that they're showing you know so interesting, multifaceted, multi-layered black characters. Um, and it's funny, but they're dealing with real issues. Um, I, I love that show. So yeah, if I could be in one writer's room, for sure, it would be it would be woke. Yeah. Or I may destroy you. I love that show. <gasps> that show was poetry, and and I know we're not going to get more of it, but just give her all of the awards now. I would just I would carry water for that for that show. Yeah. So yes. yeah, yes. definitely. Those are great answers. We definitely reviewed Woke like a couple episodes ago. And yeah. we, we love that. Great show. reviews. So and good. The one thing, ah, so good. Yeah. So good. Shout out to Roche Jeffrey. She wrote an episode on that show. She, that's a, her episode was dope. She 
She's a great writer. Yeah, all of them people in there. Mo Marable that directed it. It was which it was episode shot. did so, you yeah. write? Shout out to the people at Woke. If y'all wanna, <laughs> you need a black writer named Darnell. Mm-hmm. That one right here. Hit That's me up. right. Or Judith or Corey. As all well. of us. Just bring all of us yeah. in there. We all black. Yeah. We all woke. Tag the man. Tag you. Yes. <laughs> Um, what episode did she write? Oh my god, I should have should have remembered. I think it was was it the threesome episode? I forget. I forget now because I I literally sat down one night and blew through the whole season. So like I just remember the emotional response of seeing it. Yeah. The whole thing was like, damn, this 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 shit's crazy. Um, but yeah, she's she's an incredible writer too. All the yeah. people on she's this show. So talented. She's really, really talented. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So great interview so far. We're gonna get to our last question. We don't want to take up too much of your time. So what all good, all good. is the best advice that you've mm-hmm. gotten in your journey as a TV writer? And what advice would you give to aspiring TV writers out there who wanna be in your position one day? The best advice that I received, um, my professor back at UART, Steve Saylor, he kept telling us that you're not gonna, this is the only time in your life in college that you're gonna have this amount of time to write what you want and, and don't waste it. You know, you don't have any responsibility. You sitting up here in a dorm, you know, don't waste it because when you get older, um, and responsibilities start knocking at the door, it's going to be hard for you to balance all of those things. And um, that was an important piece of advice because it, it reminds me to make sure to balance, you know, to, to make sure that I don't let the, the, the stress of bills and, and work and money interfere with, I got to still tell really great stories that make me feel inspired and that make me laugh or make me cry, make me, you know, feel all those things. So that piece of advice of balance um, making sure to keep yourself centered um, um, and that mental health, especially for our black folk out there, um, balance definitely includes, you know, mental health um, and making sure you take care of yourself, especially since 2020 has been the most traumatizing year for black people ever recorded. Um, so that just his whole advice of being balanced and everything that that means um, was definitely a, a piece of advice um, that I, I kept with me. Um, that I can try to continue to keep with me, trying to stay balanced is hard. Um, the piece of advice that I would give to other writers out there um, is something that I try to always say to people, um, just be you at, at, at all times. Um, I think that we um, have sometimes have a tendency to think that we have to write to the industry or we have to be the version you know, of Judith and Corey or Darnell that we think the industry mm-hmm. wants. But what they really want is us, you know? And I think if you can stay true to yourself, that's what they want in the room. You know, when they put together writer's rooms, it's, it's like they're putting together a toolbox. They need a screwdriver and a hammer, you know, and all these things. And be true to you. Be that fucking hammer. Be the most dope hammer ever. Don't try to be a screwdriver. You are good at one particular thing. And that's not a bad thing. That one particular thing is being you and all that that encompasses. And I think that's the, the, the note that I try to give to people is just be the truest, most authentic version of yourself. Um, even if that's an introvert, even if that's you know a crazy person um, that, that thinks really weird things, 
Um, that's what they want. You know, those are the things that like we don't get a chance to see, you know, from black people on TV a lot. You know what I mean? Like be, be you. Um, so that's what I say. Just be the, the truest version of yourself and put that on a page. Don't put what you think they want. Just put you. Because if you don't get it, it's easier to accept that you didn't get it because you were being the truest you. But if you fake the funk and then you don't get it, you're going to be sitting back thinking, man, well, maybe I should have did this or maybe I should have did that. You won't have those questions if you just be you because you can say to yourself, that's not for me. That wasn't meant for me. The next thing is for me. So. I know that's right. Yes. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I need I need like a ablib man. I like the cat from the Migos. I want somebody to walk around with me like that and just be like oh, I say something. Yes. Go be like chip. Yeah, can I get some um can I get a hamburger fried <laughs> onions? Chip with some extra ketchup. <laughs> fried onions. <laughs> all of the <laughs> I need all of that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, thank you yes. so much. Thank you. Thank y'all. Like, thank y'all for what you're doing this is a great i've been listening to the the recordings like it's it's important to have this voice out there for sure for everybody so i appreciate what you guys are doing the tone is dope I thank love you it. we appreciate yeah yes <laughs> keep doing it yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you so much and if y'all haven't figured out um darnell brown is that nigga you should know like i is. am that nigga you should know for sure <laughs> i feel like i need to kick some bars after something like that drop <laughs> right. the beat Right, right. <laughs> Where can they follow you? Where can they follow me? Oh, I'm so inefficient with knowing my social media. Um, <laughs> that's how old I am. All right, so wait, wait, wait. Um, Instagram, I am shit. Hang on. Hang on. I'm sorry, y'all. Like, I think it's the words within. It's the words within. Yes. Yeah, yes. there it is. Yeah, I am the the words within on Instagram. And then um, on on Twitter, I am just just brother. Hang on, let me just make sure. No problem. Yeah, yeah just just brother on Twitter. Um, I'm doing a, a podcast with my my friend Erica Eastridge. We're doing a podcast called um, Unknown. So you can also find me on Instagram and Twitter for Unknown the podcast. Um, we're going to be hey. doing that pretty soon. Um, so yeah, definitely uh, check me out there. Hit me up. Yes, guys. Hey, ladies and gentlemen. Darnell Brown. Thank you guys. This was awesome. Well, thank you. We're so glad. And of course, you could, you, can... you could come through and drop some gems for the listeners. And thank you okay. just for being so gracious and just being so great. We appreciate it. We really, really do. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you guys. Yep, yep. And you can follow us on uh, Tinseltown T at Instagram or on Instagram mm -hmm. at Tinseltown T. See, I'm showing my age. Um, and also the Twitter, I believe the kids are calling it, Corey, or we, we're on, we're the on there, right? And we are on <laughs> from the Twitters and on the Facebook, mm -hmm. um, but Facebook is a mess. Child. Okay, come on. Yes. Right, right. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I can't do Facebook no more, but we try to yeah. be on there. Um, we just do the whole on Instagram, yeah. we post on Instagram, Facebook at the same time. There you go. Two birds with one. Yes. Song. Um, but yeah, yes. follow us on all of those yeah. socials and uh, keep listening, guys. And thank you once again, Darnell, for coming through to the Tinsel Tennessee table. No problem. I just got I just got one extra question, Judah, for the chocolate chip cookies, Don. I'm, I'm <laughs> I hope so. What it do? Where, where's the salmon in the cookies? Right. Thing? You talked about it. Where? <laughs> Don't worry, I'm gonna share much to share and everyone will have a, a wonderful meal, I promise. 
Well, if my roommate didn't burn it, but I don't mm-hmm. think that is the case because Karen is alive. <laughs> Barbecue Becky. Alive. Yeah, okay. Foolishness. But yeah. <sighs> Always. But yeah, see you guys next time. Thank you so Bye. much.